0: All right. Hello, Christ community. So glad all of you are here. Welcome to all of you. If you're at our 15th Street campus or you're at our West campus or our traditions venue, we are so glad you were here today. I love our church. I love what God is doing here. We are all about changing people's stories. And we have an amazing Savior, uh, Jesus, who meets us right where we're at. And no matter where you're at emotionally, spiritually, we're so glad you're here because we believe God wants to do something significant in your life uh, today, and uh, and that's very, very Awesome that all of us are here. Your being here places you in a context for that to happen. And so I'm excited you're here. Um, By the way, I just want to just add a little thing to the the video now. So to discover Christ community, if you're relatively new to Christ community, um, we encourage you to come. It's a great way to find out more about the church. That's this Wednesday. You do need to sign up. And if you, maybe you've been coming for a while to Christ Community, you think I ought to explore being a, a member, a part—we call it partner around here. If you ought to ex- think you ought to explore that. Then uh, we encourage you. That's the first step of that process as well. So do sign up. It's this coming Wednesday. I'll be there. Pastor Bruce will be there. It'll be a great, a great time. So not long ago, I got the uh, dreaded jury summons. You know that we all, <laughs> um, are, we all don't like to receive in the mail. Anyway, so I got that and. Uh, Uh, You know, Typically those things come in the worst possible weeks And it was kind of like that here at Christ Community It was a crazy week when I was scheduled But I got up early and I went down to the courthouse And and hoping, like everyone else who was there Hoping that my number would not be called And I could go back to work But of course my number was called And so I was taken with 25 people Into this kind of courtroom um, Potential jurors And within a few minutes I was one of six Raising my right hand Being sworn in as a juror um, and now, now I've, you know, I've read every John Grisham novel, okay? Um, and I've watched Dateline and Law and Order. So, you know, even though I had done all of that, I suddenly felt very ill-prepared. It is one thing um, to read a fictional account of what happens in a courtroom, but it's a totally, another, it's another thing entirely to actually be there. To be one of six jurors that are deciding the fate of this person based upon the evidence that's presented and the the, you know the 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 witnesses and the closing arguments. I mean, it was frightening, and it was energizing, and it was intriguing all at the same time. I mean, being on the inside gave me a whole new perspective on the importance of our justice system and how it really works—not the TV version, but the real life. Version, And as I was later reflecting upon that experience, I realized that in many respects, our spiritual lives can be a bit that way, especially in the area of prayer. For many of us, prayer can be sort of like that jury summons. You know, it's something we know we're supposed to do, but if we're honest, it feels a bit more obligatory. We show up, you know, we have some information about prayer. We know it's important, but it still feels a bit sterile. What we need is an insider's perspective. Wouldn't it be cool to be invited into Jesus' inner circle and actually see him pray so, so that we could experience prayer the way Jesus experienced prayer? I'm not talking about just hearing him or seeing him teach us about prayer. There are passages in the Bible where, where he's teaching us how to do that. I'm, I'm talking about actually seeing him pray and us having a front row seat. Well, that's actually what happens in the passage that we're looking at today. We get a front row seat into the prayer life of Jesus. We get to see what prayer looks like in some real life situations, situations that all of us face. And I believe that as we look at his prayer life from this vantage point, it can give us a whole new perspective on prayer. So if you have your Bible um, or Bible app, feel free to open to Luke chapter 22. We're continuing our journey through this amazing book. We recently jumped ahead um, to these latter chapters so that we can focus on these passages as we lead up to Good Friday and Easter, but then we'll go back to, to where we left off. So today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 22. And what is clear in this passage, and we've been talking about this, is that Jesus is in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. He knows that within hours, he is going to be betrayed by one of his disciples. He's going to be abandoned by the rest of them. He knows that the next day, he will face the most horrible death devised by humanity, crucifixion. And in doing so, he will take upon himself the sin of mankind, experiencing the full wrath of his heavenly Father. He is carrying an unbelievable amount of stress and, 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 and just stress as he faces these situations but here is what is so, so important, it is so fascinating in the midst of all of this stress in the midst of all the adversity he's experiencing there is one response that Jesus instinctively has he prays he prays in the midst of adversity it was Jesus' instinct to pray In the midst of adversity, it was Jesus' instinct to pray. And there are three specific situations that Jesus prays about. And each one is something that we face in our own lives as well. So let's kind of pull back the curtain here and let's see how Jesus prays in these situations. First situation, when a friend is struggling... When a friend is struggling, how many of us right now can think of a friend who is struggling with failure, with addiction, with disappointment, discouragement? How many of us have a friend like that? Right. Almost all of us here. Sure. But we can all think of people in our lives in these situations. And at times we may not know how to really pray for them other than Lord help So-and-so. So So how can we more effectively engage in praying for a struggling friend? Well, Jesus shows us. In the midst of a conversation with his disciples about the importance of being a servant, which Pastor Stetson talked about last week, Jesus then turns to Simon Peter, who basically is the point leader of the the disciples, right? And Jesus says to him in, in chapter 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back strengthen your brothers now jesus knows that a sifting is coming for the disciples now what what does that mean well the image used here is that of a sieve where where through violent shaking the wheat is separated from the chaff it is a vivid picture of adversity of difficulty so jesus says that satan has asked permission to sift the disciples in this way. In other words, Satan has asked God for permission to bring adversity into the lives of the disciples. Notice, Satan has to ask permission. God and Satan are not on a level playing field duking it out. No, Satan can only bring into our lives the adversity that God allows our God is absolutely sovereign and is in control. But he allows adversity for a greater purpose, as we will see. So, so what kind of sifting, specifically, is Simon going to experience? Well, we know from the rest of this passage, verse 33. But, but he, Simon, replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you even know me. And that's exactly what happens. A bit later in this chapter, beginning in verse 54, we read about how Jesus is taken away by the religious leaders who want to kill him. And Peter follows from a distance and a servant girl saw him, saw Peter and said, this, this guy was with him. And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. And a little later, someone else accused Peter of being with Jesus, which again, he strongly denied. And later on, it happened again. As someone asserted that Peter had been with Jesus, and and Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was saying those words, a rooster crowed. And Jesus, who Peter was watching from a distance, Jesus turned and looked right at Peter. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said. And he went away and he wept bitterly. So Peter is being sifted through failure. He had promised Jesus that he would stay with him no matter what. To prison, death, doesn't matter. He would be there. That's what he promised. But when Jesus was arrested, Peter abandoned him. And then three times he denied ever knowing him. Utter failure. Now, can any of us relate? maybe we didn't stand up for jesus when we had the opportunity maybe we denied even knowing him when we're facing a temptation choosing to give into that again we totally messed up and boy that that sieve starts working overtime right violently shaking us to the core guilt shame remorse you know condemnation jesus knows this is going to happen to peter He knows that Peter is going to fail and and, and feel horrible about it. So, So how does Jesus respond to this? He prays. He prays for Simon Peter. And notice what he prays for, verse 32. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I love this. What does Jesus pray for? That Simon's faith would not fail. This is this is so interesting. He doesn't pray that Simon doesn't go through the difficulty. He doesn't pray that Simon escapes from this happening. No, no, he prays that Simon's faith will not fail. See, faith is what God is most interested in. God Wants our faith in him to grow more than he wants us to have a comfortable life. What he's most interested in is for our faith to grow. In, In fact, this passage seems to imply that that is why God actually, that's actually why God allows adversity. He wants our faith in him to grow stronger, and adversity is the best place for that to happen. Okay, so, so think about how this applies to our prayer lives. When a friend or a spouse or our, our child, adult child or younger child is struggling, what do we instinctively pray for? An immediate solution. The easiest path. Get them out of this situation. Get them a new job with a nicer boss. Get them a better coach, you know, that'll give them more playing time. No, uh, get them into a better environment. <clears throat> I mean, but, that, but what's, what is God most interested in? I mean, that's what we're interested in. But what is God most interested in? That their faith would grow. That their faith would grow. That they would learn to trust him more fully. We can pray for that. We can pray for that. We can pray that their faith may not fail. You know, I can think of so many times as a parent, Or one of my kids is in a difficult situation, you know, with a, with a marijuana dealing roommate, um, or a challenging job or whatever. And so often my prayers are, God, get them out of that situation, protect them from this pain, protect them from this hardship. But what if pain is God's instrument for their faith in him to grow? What if adversity is actually God's instrument for their trust in him to deepen? You know, often I totally miss the opportunity to pray for that, because I'm just praying for escape. But praying like Jesus involves recognizing the battle that our friend is in, and praying that their faith would not fail, that their confidence in God would grow, now, speaking of faith, look at what Jesus says right after saying he prayed for Simon. This is, this is so cool. He says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He doesn't say if. And if you turn back, he doesn't say that. He says when. Jesus knew Simon would turn back because he had prayed for him. He knew he would turn back because he'd prayed for him. He'd prayed for him. That's amazing faith. Jesus knew his prayers would make a difference. And the other thing that I love about this prayer for Simon is that notice how Jesus envisions God's purposes beyond the pain. Do you, you see that here? When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You still have a ministry. <laughs> When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus says, this failure is not the end of your ministry. It is not the end of the impact that you can have. I still have plans for you. I know you're going to fail, and I still have plans for you. What, What a great way to pray for our struggling friends. Pray for their faith to grow, and pray for God's purposes to be accomplished, even in the aftermath of their failures. God is still at work. God still has a plan. So let me just say here, for those of you with with friends or children or parents who are struggling right now, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Your prayers matter. Your prayers matter. You may not feel like they're making a difference, but they are. Every tear you shed, every prayer for faith to deepen is heard by God and is placed in God's heart. It's placed in God's heart. None of your prayers are wasted. None of them are wasted. They're a part part of God's plans for your friend, your loved one. So don't give up. Keep praying real world prayers for your friend. These kinds of prayers. Joining with them in the struggle. Keep praying these kinds of prayers for your friend. Okay, that's one situation. When a friend is struggling. A second situation... That Jesus found himself in and he responded by praying as this when obedience to God is hard when obedience to God is hard look at me beginning in verse 39 Jesus went as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him on reaching the place he said to them pray that you will not fall into temptation he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them knelt down and prayed father if you are willing take this cup from me It's, it's amazing because we have this front row seat into a very intimate place of prayer. Jesus is at a crossroads. He knows that saying yes to God is going to mean enduring horrible suffering, being nailed to a cross, dying a torturous death. He knows what God is calling him to do, but he is still in anguish about how difficult saying yes is To his heavenly father he's going to be. How difficult that is. He's in anguish. So what does he do? Does he go on Instagram? Let everyone know, right? (laughs) Facebook, send out a few tweets. No, no, no. Jesus prays. He prays. He runs to his heavenly father. And and not with pious platitudes. Oh, you thou art holy. You know, that, that kind of stuff. No, no. Jesus just, he just gets real here verse 42 Father if you are willing take this cup from me Jesus is being brutally honest about the path he would prefer he is not hiding it he is not saying what he's supposed to say you know he is opening up his heart and being real you know one of the things one of the things that tends to make our prayers a bit Uh, more superficial and, and plastic is when we say to God, when we say the things we think we're supposed to say. Rather than being honest about what's really going on in our heart, honest about our struggle, honest about what we're really wrestling with, we say what we think we're supposed to say. I mean, here's a radical thought. What what if rather than kind of pretending with that kind of religious language or rather than just not even talking to God about it, what if, radical thought here, what if we actually told God what we were thinking and feeling? God, I really don't want to obey you in this relationship or in this area of sexuality or in this financial decision. I really don't want to do this. That's exactly what Jesus does in prayer. He honestly opens his heart to God. But, and this is so important, he doesn't stop there. After praying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, he then says, Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Those eight words represent a seismic shift in this prayer. Not my will, my desires, my preferences. No, no, I I lay down my will and I choose to embrace yours. That's that's what Jesus is doing here. He, He is surrendering his desires to God the Father, no matter what the cost. And it is excruciatingly difficult. It's excruciatingly difficult Luke says that Jesus is in anguish anguish so much so that his sweat became mixed with blood, revealing this this level of intensity and wrestling in prayer. I mean, surrendering, surrendering to God when his will is different than our will is never easy. It is never easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus, and it's not easy for us, but it is an essential aspect of a healthy spiritual life. See, prayer... Prayer is not simply this vending machine experience, you know, where I I go to God with my desires and I push the right buttons or whatever, and out comes what I want. I mean, prayer, real prayer, is this intimate, beautiful, painful, costly, wrestling place where we align our hearts with his heart. Where we we acknowledge that his will is more important and necessary than our will. And we choose, we choose to surrender to his will. So so as I've been as I've been looking at this passage and thinking about this passage and thinking about what Jesus went through in prayer, I've just begun to kind of wonder. I began to wonder in my own life, how often do I actually go to this place in prayer? How often do I actually go to this place in prayer? Oh, I will gladly confess my sins after I've freely chosen to give in to them. But how often are my prayers this vulnerable, honest struggle before giving into temptation? How often am I struggling in prayer before giving in to temptation, which then leads me to a place of, of deeper surrender? I mean, how often are my prayers more focused on forgiveness for what I've already done than they're focused on surrendering my will to my Heavenly Father? I mean, how often in prayer do we experience this seismic shift from self centeredness to surrender? How often does that happen in our prayer lives? Now, we might be tempted to think, well, this is really just Jesus. This is kind of a one-time thing. It's the Garden of Gethsemane, you know. This is sort of a unique experience. This is sort of a one-time experience for him. But, But Luke doesn't let us off the hook. Did you notice that in the passage I read? Notice how twice in this passage, Jesus, he's having this prayer experience. And then what does he do? He turns to his disciples and he says to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. I'm in anguish over, I've got my own issues I'm working, working through and all that stuff. You, I'm, now, now you pray that you will not fall into temptation. He doesn't say, pray that God will remove your temptations. No, no, no. That would be impossible in the world in which we live. The command of Jesus is to pray that we will not fall into temptation. It is to earnestly pray for strength, to flee temptation, to resist temptation. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? This is, this is real world praying it's praying right where we live it's, it's praying our vulnerabilities it's praying our struggles it's praying our weaknesses, bringing these things before God and then bringing them in alignment with God's heart and God's will. we, we need we need this kind of anguishing prayer where, where our will gets wrestled to the ground. <laughs> And it ultimately bows its knees to God. Now, let me be clear here. I'm not talking about some formulaic prayers. Just say these special words or what? I'm not talking about that. Now, what Jesus is demonstrating so powerfully is prayer um, as this prayer as this place of honest, heartfelt wrestling in God's presence, and letting His love, letting God's love woo us into this place of obedience even when it's really hard to obey. A few weeks ago, our our staff went on a a, a staff retreat um, and our speaker was this uh, godly woman named Mindy Caliguire who who, um, has worked for a number of years in the the area of soul care. And during one of the sessions, she she was talking about the spiritual life, talking about prayer and the spiritual life. And she said, I, I love this, she said this, so much of Jesus' language about prayer is not about achievement, but about connection. You know, when Jesus is talking about prayer, so much of the way he talks about prayer is not about achievement, it's about connection. I love that. See, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was not trying to achieve something in prayer. No. He was connecting with his loving Heavenly Father. And in that place of connection, he was choosing to surrender his will to his fathers. There was a connection happening a relational, intimate connection that was happening. That's the kind of surrender we're talking about. And that's being modeled for us here. So think of an area in your life where, where you're struggling to obey the Lord. Maybe it has to do with some relationship or some aspect of sexual purity or, or it's related to finances or work or whatever. And let me just say, you're, you got an area that we're struggling to obey the Lord. Let me just ask, are you praying about that? Are you praying about that? Not simply prayers of forgiveness after the fact. Are are you and I regularly bringing this to Jesus? Letting, Letting our hearts get to this place of being fully surrendered to God's will, no matter what the cost. Does our prayer look like that? Because here, and this is really important, here's what Jesus knew in his heart of hearts. Here's what he knew. And it's what we regularly need to be reminded of in our own hearts. God's will, no matter how difficult, is infinitely better than our will. God's will, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, God's will is infinitely better than our will. So in the book of Hebrews, there's this amazing statement in the book of Hebrews, this amazing statement about why Jesus said yes to the cross. Look look at this. Hebrews 12, two, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus knew that surrendering to God the Father would ultimately result in joy. It would ultimately result in joy. And the same thing is true of us. Even though the decision, the choice may be excruciatingly difficult, the end result will be joy. The end result will be joy. Saying yes to God is worth it. No matter what circumstance you're in, how difficult this decision is in your marriage or in your life, whatever, saying yes to to God is worth it. It's it's worth it. Well, there's there's one more situation that Jesus um, found himself in and responded by praying. And that is when your enemies seek your harm. When your enemies seek your harm, look with me at verse 47. While he was speaking, a crowd came up, and a man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Don't you love Luke's details here? I mean, he's, he, this is a physician talking, right? It's his right ear, um, but that was an important detail. Uh, but, but Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour. When darkness reigns. So while Jesus was praying, speaking to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, a crowd comes up and Judas um, is leading the crowd. And Judas is one of Jesus' own disciples. And earlier in the chapter, we read about how Judas agreed. Um, he, he went to the chief priests and he, he got paid a sum of money to betray Jesus. Now, you may be wondering why the religious leaders couldn't arrest Jesus anytime they wanted. Um, and, and, and Because he was in the temple He was in plain sight They could arrest him any time But no, no, no Why did they need Judas? Well, here's the reason and, and Jesus mentions it in this passage They needed the cover of darkness They didn't know where Jesus was going to be at night They needed the cover of darkness They needed it when Jesus was by himself Or at least just alone with the disciples Not when a huge crowd was there So they needed Judas Because Judas knew exactly where Jesus would be at night and And so he takes the religious leaders to Jesus, and and he betrays Jesus. With a kiss. And at that moment, Jesus is turned over to the chief priests, um, the officers of the temple guard, the elders, many of whom were armed with weapons. And in the middle of this, all this activity, this betrayal, one of the disciples of Jesus impulsively takes the sword and he he cuts off the, the ear of one of the men, the, one of the, the guards who would come to, to take Jesus. And I'm sure, I mean, this man, this is this man is probably screaming, blood squirting out, right? But but instead of letting this enemy feel the pain of this wound which would have been our natural response. He he got what he deserved, right? Um, Rather than doing that, Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Now, this response is absolutely amazing. Jesus is face to face with his enemies, and yet he instinctively prays for one of them. He he ministers to one of them who is in need. And these are the same soldiers that in a few hours are going to be beating him to a pulp, blindfolding him and spitting on him. But Jesus' heart is filled with love and forgiveness towards his enemies. And he extends that to, to this man by healing his ear. Now, think of our natural response towards people who hurt us. Who betray us, who wound us. We're thinking retaliation. We're thinking revenge. We're speaking curses with our words. We're, you know, we're withholding any form of kindness or civility toward them. I mean, that's the way the world works, right? You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. I, I've seen this recently in a family that I know, you know, Christian people, Christian people who are still harboring hurts from 40 years ago within the family, 40 years ago, bringing them up in conversations as if they happened yesterday. Their their bitterness continues to poison the soil of their hearts and this whole family, but they don't see it. They they couch their unforgiveness in religious-sounding terms, even though it totally misses the heart of Jesus. So what Jesus demonstrates here, and he's calling us to, In prayer, this prayerful response, what he's calling us to, as his followers, is to live a life of love for our enemies. And that includes praying for our enemies, praying for our enemies, praying for those who hurt us and who speak ill of us. Last fall, we, we spent some time in chapter 6 of Luke. Um, if you were here, you remember that, where Jesus clearly lays out the kind of life that he wants us to live. It was the, we call the series Overflow. Listen to the, afresh to these words. Um, in fact, let's read these out loud together from Luke six twenty seven 27 to and 28. Read this out loud with me. But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. See, that is Jesus' heart for us, and he models it here in this passage in an amazing way in this moment where he is is being betrayed by a friend. He's just been betrayed by a friend. He's being arrested by the religious elites who have been opposing him all along. In that moment when anger and revenge and hatred could easily have spilled forth, Jesus demonstrates love. He demonstrates love. He heals the injured ear of a man who has come to arrest him. So, where does this kind of love come from? It comes from prayer. It comes from prayer. There's something something supernatural, something miraculous that can happen when we pray for our enemies, when we choose to bless them in prayer rather than cursing them to others. It changes our hearts. It changes our hearts, seriously. Prayer, prayer is like this secret laboratory where our hearts and our attitudes actually change toward another person where there was hatred before. Seriously, it is that powerful. It's this secret laboratory where our hearts and our attitudes actually change toward a person that we've hated before. God can open our eyes and our hearts to see this person the way he does. It's miraculous, it's miraculous. The other day, um, as I was walking on the sidewalk um, near Zoe's downtown, I was talking to my wife on the phone. Um, It was during jury duty lunch break, actually. And we were trying to figure out some scheduling things. Yeah, I've been called. And, you know, we had to kind of work out some things. So as I was walking, talking on the phone, I noticed this guy coming towards me on the sidewalk. He was walking from the other direction. And as he got close to me, I noticed he was kind of leaning in to my walking lane. And in a very, right as he passed me, in a very terse voice, He said, lose the phone. Um, And initially, I was kind of shocked, and then I felt angry, you know, how dare you? I have every right to talk on this phone, you know, that that kind of a deal. Um, And and while I was sitting in that anger, I was sitting in that anger, the Holy Spirit just gently prompted me, why don't you pray for him? (laughs) Why don't you pray for him? You have no idea what's going on in his life. Instead of getting mad at him, why don't you pray for him? See, well, what might happen if I applied that to every other situation I find myself in where someone has hurt me or they've made me mad? What if if our prayer life intentionally included this sort of thing, where we examined our heart to see if there's anyone that we we haven't forgiven or anyone we're harboring anger towards, and we actually prayed for them? In fact, maybe that's why Jesus included this in the Lord's Prayer. Could be just this, this regular bringing this regularly into our prayer lives. I mean, let's be honest. What we're talking about here, it's pretty radical stuff, right? The the prayer that we're talking about is pretty radical. The prayer that Jesus demonstrates in this passage, it's not your usual kind of -of run-of-the-mill, sterile kind of praying. This is is real-world praying. This is praying when your friend is making some really bad decisions or, or your child is drifting from their faith and it breaks your heart. This is praying when everything within you wants to indulge in a particular course of action. And there are plenty of voices around you encouraging that as well. But you know that God doesn't want you to do that. And so instead of ignoring God, you go to your knees and you surrender to him in prayer. This is praying when someone at work stabs you in the back or when a family member unjustly accuses you of something. This is real world praying. See, God wants wants to be in every one of these situations. He wants to be a part of every one of these situations. And prayer, prayer is the gift he's given us to make that happen. But not just any prayer. Not just any prayer. It's, It's prayer that's focused on faith. It's prayer that's focused on surrender. And a prayer that's focused on blessing and forgiving our enemies. That's Real-world prayer. Or are we willing to pray like Jesus prayed? Are we willing to learn from him and pray like he prayed? Well, let's do that right now. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for your word and for giving us this inside look at the prayer life of Jesus. And Lord, we're struck by this this reality that, man, when, when he was under stress or adversity, it was his instinct to pray. And I'm not sure that's the way it is for us. Maybe it's our instinct to go on social media, but not necessarily our instinct to pray. And I ask that you would make this more and more our instinct to pray. And in these specific situations, God, all of us right now, we can just think of a friend who is struggling, someone who's struggling a family member. And we want to pray for them, Lord. Maybe they're experiencing failure or hardship, difficulty. Maybe they've turned away from you. Whatever the circumstance, we pray for them right now. Why don't you just have, just have someone in your mind here that's on your heart. And let's just pray for them. So we, we pray right now, God, that this person that's on our heart right now, a family member, a loved one, a friend, this person, their faith would not fail. That their faith would not fail. In this adversity, you would strengthen their faith. And after they have turned back to you, that they would have an amazing ministry to others, Lord. So we pray for your purposes for them. Even if they're failing or struggling, your purposes for them would not be thwarted. Deepen their faith, God. The second area of prayer that we looked at, just this whole area when, it, when obedience to God is hard. So let's just take, take a moment here and think of an area in our lives where obedience to Jesus is hard. Something we know he's asking us to do and we continually say no. I want to do my own thing. So let's pray about that right now, just in the quiet of your heart. Are you willing to say to the Lord, to admit your, honestly admit what you're wanting to do and then to say to him, but not my will, but your will. So Father, I just want to pray that we would pray more and more about these things, not after the fact, after we've already messed up and, oh yeah, forgive me, Lord. And I, I, forgiveness is great. God, thank you for that. But I, I, I pray that we would pray preemptively before we give into temptation. We would pray specifically, not our will. But yours, that there would be a seismic shift in our praying from self-centeredness to surrender more and more in our prayer lives. And then finally, Lord, I, I pray that our, our prayer lives would include and be infused with this heart towards our enemies for their healing, for their blessing, That you would, that we would be able to bless them in prayer. We'd be able to pray for them. We would be able to forgive them in our hearts. And so we pray for that, Lord. We ask for that, God, that this would be a regular part of our prayer lives, Lord. A regular part of our prayer lives. Our heart towards our enemies would reflect your heart of forgiveness, and so, God, for all of us here, we ask you to take us deeper in prayer. Not, not, not superficial prayer, Lord, or prayer that we're just going through the motions. We pray you'd take us deeper in prayer. The way that you pray, that you'd help us grow in our relationship with you in prayer. And that you would do amazing things in our hearts and in the lives of others as a result, God thank you thank you and i thank you god that ultimately prayer it's about relationship it's about not achieving it's about connecting and so i pray for every person here our prayer lives would be more and more about just connecting with you god real world connecting just opening our hearts honestly to you and letting you move in our hearts and our situations for your glory god thank you thank you for your word And thank you for this opportunity now to to respond to your word by worshiping you with all of our being. So thank you. Thank you for that. So why why don't we stand, whatever campus you're at here, let's just stand as the worship team leads us. Set us free to worship you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We worship you. Thank you.